turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 16, verse 1 this morning. Judges chapter 16, verse 1. While Pat's been gone, we've been studying the life of Samson. Judges 13, 14, 15, and 16. And uh, today brings us to Samson and Delilah that we will get to in just a minute. I, uh, a story that many bad movies have been made about. So I don't recommend them. Um, But we want to get right into it this morning. Judges chapter 16, verse 1. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. Now if there's any lesson Samson should have learned... By this point in his life, is that the Philistines cannot be trusted, and staying away from unbelieving Philistine women, no matter how attractive they might be, would be a really good idea. After all, it was his marriage to a Philistine woman that led to his wager and riddle made with his wife's companions involving the lion he had slain and the honey he had eaten from the lion's carcass that led to her Philistine companions weaseling the answer to Samson's riddle out of her. And that led to the death of 30 Philistines in chapter 14. And then in chapter 15, it led to the death of his wife and another 1,000 Philistines. Involvement with a Philistine woman and the Philistines in Gaza combined here again with Samson's lack of self-control and unbridled lust at the beginning of chapter 16. And it will ultimately end in disaster for Samson by the time we get to the end of the chapter. Given the fact Samson was proclaimed in chapter 13 by the angel of the Lord as a coming and chosen deliverer for Israel, even before he was conceived, and given the fact Samson was blessed by being born to humble and godly parents who loved and cherished him, and given the fact that Samson had been blessed by God with miraculous strength. And now here in in chapter 16, verse 1, right after the Lord at the end of chapter 15 had His Spirit rush upon Samson and had given him a great victory in judgment over the Philistines, And we saw for the first time Samson call out to the Lord. We saw a dependent Samson pray to God to save his life. And the Lord graciously provided water from the rock to preserve and sustain him. You can understand that it didn't have to all come to this in chapter 16. But that... This action in 16 verse 1, this going to a prostitute in Gaza, is just a symptom of the real root of the problem for Samson. For his real problem is that he had grown cold to the Lord. Samson's heart forgot the Lord and his many blessings. And that brought much trouble to Samson. And make no mistake, when God inspired the writing of Judges, and recorded Samson's birth, his life, and now in chapter 16, we will come to his death. 
God is giving the Israelites a picture of themselves. Samson's life is a mirror for the Israelites to see. They are to see themselves. The Israelites had been blessed by God. They were a nation chosen by God through Abraham. God had blessed them, had nurtured them, had grown them to be a great multitude in Egypt. And then through the power of His might and miracles, God redeemed them from slavery there. The Lord blessed them with great power, victories over their enemies, so that they might live in the promised land God had given to them. But once there, they rejected the Lord. They went after other gods. They worshipped the Baals. They worshipped the gods of the people of the land they failed to drive out. They committed spiritual adultery against the one true God. And now in Judges, where every man does that which is right in his own eyes, the cycle of sin continues for Israel and is seen in the life of Samson. At the end of chapter 15, in verse 20, God had just given Samson that great victory over the Philistines, and then God announces that Samson judged Israel in the days of the Philistines for 20 years. So God introduced Samson as a judge and deliverer of Israel at the end of chapter 15. And between chapter 15, verse 20, and chapter 16, verse 1, there's 20 evidently pretty uneventful years that take place. And yet the very next thing we read about Samson is chapter 16, verse 1. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. Samson goes from the mountaintop experience of chapter 15 to this at the beginning of 16. Interestingly, the Spirit of the Lord stirred or rushed upon Samson four times in chapters 13, 14, and 15. But never once do we see the Spirit of God mentioned here in chapter 16. In fact, God is only explicitly mentioned in two verses in chapter 16. In verse 20, which is one of the saddest verses of the Bible, and again in Samson's prayer in verse 28, we also see God's empowerment of Samson and verse 30. Let's follow the story along. Look at verse 2 of chapter 16. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night saying, let us wait till the, sight, till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. You see, the Philistines had not forgotten Samson. They'd not forgotten the death and destruction he earlier brought upon them. Over a thousand Philistines lost their lives at his hands. Now they are out for revenge. Verse 3. But Samson lay till midnight. And at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gates of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Now, Gaza is one of the five major cities of the Philistines. It's in the same area called Gaza today. It's on the southern end of Israel, on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Today, there are about two million Palestinians that live there. And it's from this city that Samson escapes the Philistines who intend to kill him. But when Samson escapes, he doesn't just make a break and run for it. No, he makes a point with his escape. 
He doesn't just get away, but he rips down the gates of the city, the doors of the gates, and he hauls them along with him towards Hebron when he eventually deposits them on top of a hill. Now, these doors are not just something you can put under your arm or sling over your shoulder, all right? They're made of heavy wood and metal. His miraculous strength is once again exhibited, and he's making a point to these Philistines who think they can attack him once again. He's telling them, I'm stronger than you. I will do to you again what I did before. You will suffer at my hands if you don't leave me alone. He's making that point. It's a lesson they had apparently forgotten. But Samson's going to be back in Gaza very soon, as we will see. That brings us in verse 4 to the story of Samson and Delilah. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek. This is the first time we're ever told that Samson loves a woman. And the valley of Sorek, it's very near his home, just five miles away. And her name was Delilah. The name Delilah actually means flirtatious. Very apropos for Delilah. Verse 5. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him, and we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies, and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. While not explicitly stated, the implication here is that Delilah was another Philistine woman that Samson gets involved with. At the very least, she's, she's definitely aligned with the Philistines. And she's about to become a part of the plot to finally take Samson out. But instead of brute force and frontal assaults like before, this time the Philistines have changed their tactics and they're looking to attack the root of the problem. They are looking for Samson's kryptonite, you might say. They are looking for his secret, the secret that will take away Samson's strength. He's proven over and over that in a contest based on power, they can't win. But if they can find the secret to his great strength, they would stand a chance and would kill him once and for all. To entice Delilah to to participate, the five lords of the Philistine cities pool their money. They each contribute to the bribe Delilah so we can kill Samson fund. 5,500 pieces of silver. This is, a, this is a fabulous amount of money. Keep in mind, Judas, to betray Jesus, only took 30 pieces of silver. Interestingly, while Samson is declared to love Delilah, there's no such declaration from Delilah anywhere. But she is offered a tidy sum to get Samson. As a result, Delilah makes her first of three attempts to get the secret from him, starting in verse 6. Follow along with me. I'm sorry, starting in verse 7. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. 
Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire, so the secret of his strength was not known. Verse 10, attempt number 2. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush in an inner chamber but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Now for the third attempt. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Well, Samson's getting a little closer to the truth. Verse 14. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web, and she made them tight with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great great strength lies. But now Delilah's question in verse 15 gets to the core question about Samson. Where does his heart lie? Well, what were Delilah's motives here? Were they only money or by this point is her pride involved too? I mean... If she has such value to him personally, surely there is no secret he would keep for her. I mean, if Samson truly trusted her, if they were a truly intimate couple, how could Samson keep any secret from her? If Samson's not willing to be vulnerable with her, he must not really love her, right? Well, it's clear Delilah represents the absolute worst outbreak of Samson's uncontrolled passion for foreign women. It showed itself in his pursuit of an unbelieving Philistine wife in chapter 14. It showed itself more seriously in the one-night encounter with the prostitute in Gaza. But now his most flagrant flaunting of God's law regarding sexual purity is with Delilah. As we will see in reality, Samson has given his heart to Delilah and not to the Lord. His relationship with Delilah continued for a significant period of time. And he seemingly endures no feelings of guilt or conviction of sin. It's it's an ongoing and continual sin with apparently no regret. Samson's clearly infatuated with love for Delilah. How could he fail to see that her repeated and insistent efforts to find the secret of his strength were more than just idle curiosity? You would think her words would at least raise questions in his mind about the true motives behind her persistence. But the text of Scripture indicates none of that. In fact, it seems likely that Samson's relationship with the Lord had grown cold over the years, at least since his prayer to the Lord 
about 20 years ago at the end of chapter 15. And when our relationships with the Lord become cold, we're in trouble. It's when temptation comes to our hearts, temptation that often leads to sin. You see, our relationship with our Lord is the basis of how we treat other people. It affects the way we live our lives. It affects the things we say. This principle is intrinsic in the two greatest commandments that Jesus said was the essence of God's law in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 39. Jesus answered the lawyer's question saying, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Our relationship with our Lord, this vertical relationship we have with Him, affects the way we conduct our horizontal relationships. And as Samson's relationship with the Lord, as his, as his heart departed from the Lord, it freed him to pursue sin, give in to temptation. Jesus says the condition of our relationship with the Lord matters in our lives. I find the problems we have in our relationships go hand in hand with the depth and warmth of our relationships with Jesus and the Father. If you aren't tending to the garden of your relationship with the Lord, you can expect sooner or later trouble in your relationship with those around you. It should cause us to examine ourselves and come to the foot of the cross daily to seek Him in His Word, to talk with Him in prayer, to be involved in the life of the church. All ways God has provided, gracious ways God has provided for us to grow as Christians in our relationship with the Father and with others. So not only is Samson a mirror for Israel here, is a mirror for us as well. He serves as a warning to us. We dare not be arrogant towards Samson. Don't think for a minute you're not capable of sinning in the likeness of Samson. There but for the grace of God go I, said Augustine. Samson reminds me that I am a sinner. And even though I am saved by grace, I do not, and you dare not, think arrogantly about my ability to resist temptation given the right set of circumstances. I am capable of committing any sin I have seen my brother commit given the right set of circumstances. I am a sinner. Now, maybe sexual sins aren't the ones that tempt you. Maybe it's something that seems more innocent or at least more acceptable. Maybe something that's not so visible in public. Maybe it's pride, greed, envy, laziness, or anger. But be careful. The acceptable sins can be just as insidious in our lives doing slow and steady damage to the intimacy we have with the Father, just like the really big sins can do. Well, now look at verse 16 with me. We see the temptress Delilah turning up the pressure on Samson. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, you see, she pressed him hard 
is the same exact description used by Samson's Philistine wife just two chapters before to get him to reveal the secret answer to the riddle about the honey in the dead lion. Listen to the words used to describe how Samson's wife got the answer to the riddle out of Samson before. She wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted, and on the seventh day he told her because she pressed him hard. Well, here we go again. Like his wife, now his mistress Delilah presses Samson hard day after day. The idea is one of continual and ongoing pressure on Samson, and her manipulation eventually bore fruit, for at the end of verse 16, we find out Samson's soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Samson reveals the one aspect of the Nazarite vow he had never compromised. He had never cut his hair. And he had evidently come to believe that his strength was somehow derived from his long hair. In reality, his hair was not the source of his unique strength. Rather, his hair was just a symbol of his being set apart to the Lord for the power of the Spirit of God in him was the real source of his strength, as we will see. Verse 18, when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. There may be no sadder or tragic verse in the Old Testament than this. Unaware that his hair had been cut, and taking for granted the strength that the Lord had given him was still there. Samson was going to once again bring destruction on the Philistines. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. The contrast with Samson from chapter 15 and verse 18 is massive. In chapter 15, we saw the Lord sustaining a Samson seeking God's help. Whereas here we see a self-sufficient, self-serving Samson who is now abandoned by God. Now, being abandoned by God here does not mean Samson lost his salvation, for he is a believer. But it does mean that God is not there with him as his strength. God is not there with him as his encouragement. God is not there with him to give, it, give direction. God is leaving him to the consequences of his own actions. God says the same thing to Israel in Psalm 81. If you will not listen to me, I will give you up to your own desires. Well, Samson now suffers the consequences of 
the natural and inevitable result of his ongoing and sinful association with Delilah and the rebellion of his heart against God and his law is exposed in these relationships. There are grave consequences to ongoing continual sin. Here it comes to a head at the hands of heartless and two-faced Delilah, whose betrayal comes while the trusting Samson was sleeping in her lap. And the Philistines have arrived to humiliate and ultimately execute him. Look at verse 21. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shekels and he ground at the mill in the prison. In an ironic twist, they bring him back to Gaza, the place of his rendezvous with the prostitute earlier in the chapter and the place where he ripped the city gates down and hauled them off towards Hebron. The strong man Samson is physically decimated by the gouging out of his eyes. Uh, That kind of makes you cringe when you think of that as a picture, doesn't it? The gouging out of his eyes. The the eyes that had, had led him to pursue these attractive women are now gouged out. They are taken away. And the strong man Samson is being mocked by the Philistines. He is blind and confused. He marches round and round, hour after hour, day after day, grinding the grain in the mill like a beast of burden. But the Lord is not done with Samson just yet. A short little sentence foreshadows what is to come. Look at verse 22. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. And his hair begins to grow. His strength begins to return. It may be that while in prison, Samson's hair growing back coincides with Samson beginning to contemplate his sin, his shame, and his failure. What must Samson have thought when blind and bound and walking hour after hour after hour, grinding grain. It seems possible and perhaps even likely that this judge, this one set apart by God, had a spark of repentance kindled in his heart. It's interesting, the Philistines don't seem to notice his hair is growing back. Um, I think they probably thought, he is so decimated. He, he is so demeaned. He, he is so handicapped by, by all the things that have now happened to him that he can't possibly come back and attack them. I think the Philistines are pretty secure as a result of Samson's humiliation. And so they decide to throw a big party for themselves. And they do so in honor of their false god Dagon. Dagon is the chief deity of the Philistines who they credit with giving Samson into their hands. Look at verse 23. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson our enemy into our hands. 
And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hands, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. Now this is more than just a contest between Samson and the Philistines. This is a contest between the one true God of Israel and the false God of the Philistines, Dagon. And Samson's called to entertain them. Now Samson is not a song and dance man here. No, when they say entertain them, it means they are going to be entertained by making sport of Samson, to laugh at him, to, critic, to ridicule him, perhaps even torture him. For sure it is part of his humiliation. It, it shows Samson is helpless. And it also shows Samson's God is helpless too. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. Verse 26, And Samson said to the young men who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I might lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on Samson while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. O Lord God, please remember me. This is the climactic verse of chapter 16. Everything in this chapter has been building to this. Here in verse 28, for only the second time in the story of Samson, we see Samson praying to the Lord. Notice what Samson does not pray for here. He does not pray that his spirit or that his strength would be restored. He does not pray for freedom or that he would be restored as a judge over Israel. This is a very humble prayer. Oh, Lord, remember me. Oh, Lord, come back to me. And the Lord hears his prayer. Just like in chapter 15, when Samson calls out to the God in prayer, so here in chapter 16, God answers. Here we have Samson, blind, bound, totally and completely dependent upon the Lord for help. He's seeking for God. For he knows it is the Lord alone who holds the power and the strength to grant life and death and answer his prayer. Samson is dependent upon God alone. He must trust him. There's nowhere else to turn. And in response, God graciously allows Samson to end his life by once again fulfilling the mission the angel of the Lord had conveyed to his mother in chapter 13, verse 5. She was told Samson was to begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Verse 29. Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength 
And the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Samson once again felt the grace of God poured out upon him as his miraculous strength is restored and God gives him the power to pull down the pillars and cause the entire building to collapse in a heap of holy rubble, taking the lives of at least 3,000 Philistines. Those are just the ones on the roof. We aren't told how many are down below. All those who had been dancing and prancing in praise of the false god Dagon are brought low. This is a victory of Samson over the Philistines, but even more so, a victory over the one true God over the false god Dagon. Samson was willing to give his life in service to his God. Samson gave his life so his people Israel could eventually be saved from slavery to the Philistines. Well, Samson is a bit of a contradiction, isn't he? He's called by God before birth to save Israel. He's blessed with supernatural strength. He's empowered by the Holy Spirit in special ways to carry out his mission. But, and it's a big but, he is a really big Israelite bad boy too. You shake your head. Because when Samson sins, he goes really big and really public. Everybody knows about it. His one weakness is there for all to see. And it's preserved forever in God's Word. He was a man beset by the sin of lust and passion. His pursuit of unbelieving Philistines for his wife, his one-night stand with the prostitute, his relationship with Delilah are enduring examples of sin in his life. So much that the text of Scripture says the Lord left him and left him at the very moment of the key Philistine assault upon him. And the Lord let him experience the natural consequences of sin in this life. Exactly how much Samson's sin held him back from accomplishing so much more for the Lord, we will never know. But there's little doubt it took a toll. If nothing else, it cut his life and time of judging Israel short. For the story gives the impression Samson is still in the prime of life. He's probably around 40 years old. It seems kind of strange, doesn't it, that God would choose someone like Samson as his servant. Even choose him as a judge over Israel? He shatters our expectations of what a servant of God should look like. He's definitely unconventional, but unconventional, but he is so unfaithful too. He's a wild man, entertaining for sure, but unpredictable. So promising, but at the same time, so tragic. Yet Samson is the deliverer who, despite his sin, ultimately delivered by the grace of God. While the Lord left Samson for a time at the end of his life, the resulting trial in Samson's life caused him to turn back to the Lord. Not only did God enable Samson to one more time carry out his mission to begin to save Israel, but the Lord tells us also in His Word, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 32, that Samson was one of the men and women of faith whom God used in the Old Testament as part of the great cloud of witnesses that causes us to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith.
You might want to protest at this point. Samson didn't deserve the Lord's help. Well, I would respond, so what else is new? None of us deserve the Lord's help, really. We have all sinned. We all fall short of perfectly keeping God's law, of loving God completely and our neighbor as ourselves. Just like Samson, who stupidly and miserably failed his Lord and then called on the Lord from the midst of Dagon's praise and worship service, so can we. Samson is one of those who points us to Christ. For we are sinners like Samson that God has chosen to use for his saving purposes in this world. So we're reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul from Romans chapter 4, verse 5. Christ died for the ungodly. Hear that. Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus came to save sinners like you and like me. Through Samson, God began to save the Philistines. In Christ we know that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Through Samson, God pursued His people Israel just like He pursues us. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, Jesus is the satisfaction of God's wrath for sin. Sinners, wrath that you and I as sinners should have taken. When you get right down to it, no matter our situation in life, just like Samson and just like Israel, we are totally dependent upon God. And don't miss the point that the Lord's answer to Samson came not only in the midst of his desperate need, but also in the midst of his miserable failure. Sounds like the gospel, doesn't it? God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'm going to close by reading Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 to 9. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Our Lord saves us with such a great salvation we cannot imagine it or think of it. God's grace is truly greater than our sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Your word is sometimes so dramatic and powerful and sometimes soft and gentle. In your word we see you. We are reminded of your great grace and also reminded 
of our own fickle, sinful state. And it is such a wonderful thing that in that state, in our miserable failure, we can look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. May we rest in Him. And may we love you with our hearts. May you keep our hearts humble and keep them close to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.